This is the Elevate Student Ministry Podcast. Hi, I'm Pastor Dominic. Welcome to Elevate, the student ministry of Living Word Church, where we exist to exalt Christ, make disciples, and equip the saints. Thank you for sharing some of your time with us today. May it elevate Jesus and encourage you. Let's get started. Elevate, we're here for one person, and we exist for one purpose. We are here to elevate Amen and amen. I am pumped to open God's word with you. Hopefully I won't fall down the stairs. That would be sort of embarrassing, but comical. I have two challenges for tonight. Usually I end with a couple challenges, but tonight you're getting the first one right off the bat. The first one is this. We're going to cover a lot of ground. We're going to move quickly. And for anyone in here who is a thinking man or a thinking woman, it's going to open up lots of questions in your mind. So your first challenge is that whether in your phone or your notebooks or wherever, you write down questions as they come to you. That's your first challenge tonight. And we'll get to the second challenge at the end. Does anyone know that we have to beware of scammers online? Anyone? You're like, yes, I've learned about this. These are crazy people, right? They're probably in India somewhere. They're nerds living in mom's basement. Do they have basements in India? I don't know. Cows are wandering through. I don't know what it's like to live there and be a nerd. But scammers used to be kind of ridiculous. You'd get an email from some prince of Africa that just wanted to drop off money in your bank account for some reason. And it was pretty easy to spot, like, this is, this is ludicrous. And then they got a little bit more creative. They would find out who some of your friends and contacts were. And then they would contact you saying that they were stranded somewhere. And they needed your help. And you're like, well, of course I'd want to help my friend. And for a long time now, what scammers will do is they'll grab your profile picture and other pictures that are on your social media account. They'll grab phrases or words from your bio, from your posts, and then they will set up an account that looks like a mirror image of your account. And maybe for some of your friends or some of the people that might want to start following you, they don't know what's real. They don't know if they're actually following you or not. And it's the same strategy that there are quote-unquote Christians all over the country that are setting up fake profiles of God. And they've grabbed a profile picture and they grab a whole bunch of Bible-y language and they set up this bio and it looks just like the real thing. But those who are keen, those who are watching, will begin to see that God's posts and his likes and his follows don't quite line up with Scripture. They start leaning a little bit away from Scripture and over time, leaning towards the opinions of the society around us. And that scammer now that is sweeping through the churches in Christianity is progressive Christianity. They set up a profile saying, this is the God of the Bible. Follow him. And it's really easy to follow him because he doesn't say anything that's divisive or offensive. And this God that they put out really wants you to have your best life now. And everything about this this fake profile seems really likable. But just like we've talked about over the past couple weeks, 
Just like the U.S. Treasury teaches people to spot counterfeit money by showing them the real thing. We want to look at Scripture and see the real God. So we can spot those false profiles that these scammers are putting out. Let me ask you a question to start the ball rolling. If someone asked you, who is God? How do you think you would answer? Tell me about this this person that you go to church and hear about, this person you read the Bible about, Bible about who is God? How would you answer? I don't know about you, but at first I'd be like, uh, I'm not really sure where to start. He's really loving and um, he's really strong. How would you answer that question? A.W. Tozer says that what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about you. If there is one thing about Christianity that you have to get right, it's this right here. It's what you know and what you believe and how you see God. There's no going back from this. You get this right or you don't get this right. You're following the right profile or you're not. And we can't grow to know the true and living God accurately if we're following a false one. So where do we begin? We're going to begin at the beginning. Genesis 1.1. Just the first ten words. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning. Right here, we're going to see three things about God. Right off the bat. One, God is eternal. Two, he is the originator of everything. And three, he is the source of all life. He's eternal. This is a mind stretcher right here. Because beginning doesn't mean the starting line. It means the state of beginningness. Wherever you can go back in your mind to a beginning, God was already there. Check this out. Psalm 90, verse 2. Before the mountains were born, you brought forth the whole world from everlasting to everlasting. You are God. What does that mean? That means you can go for an eternity that way on the timeline, and God was already there. And you can go for an eternity that way on the timeline, and God is already there. This boggles the mind. We can't imagine anything that lasts forever, let alone has already been forever. You had a beginning. Check your birth certificate, time and date, back up nine months. There you are. You began. It's so hard for us to bend our minds around a God who always has, who is, and always will be. Our Savior, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross does not have an origin story. John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning, that state of beginningness, already Jesus, the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. There always was God. And it's this concept that God uses to reveal His very name to us. In Exodus chapter 3, Moses encounters the living God, and he is brazen enough to ask, God, what is your name? You guys can come on down. What is your name? 
And God reveals. Let's look at Exodus chapter 3, verses 14 through 15. And God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. In Hebrew, God's name is Yahweh. I am. And if you look in your Bibles, if you have your Bibles out or you're looking on the screen, anytime you see the word Lord in all capital letters, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, that is the English translation where they are filling in a name out of respect, the name Yahweh. That is in Hebrew, Yahweh, and they replace it with all caps Lord out of the sake of respect for God's name. So as we read through the Old Testament, let's start recognizing the value of God's name, but understand at least the basis. He is the great I am. Who is God today? I am. How about a hundred years ago? I am. What about an eon ago? I am. Before there is humanity for him to turn his attention towards, before there was angels to sing his glory, when there was empty emptiness, before there was a before, when that even darkness existed, there was already the great I am from everlasting to everlasting. He is Lord. The second thing is that he is the originator of all things. In the beginning, God created. He created everything that is seen and unseen. Genesis 1.3, and God spoke. God said, let there be light. Poof, and there was light. Psalm 33, 6, verses 8 through 9. By the word of Yahweh, the heavens were made. And by the breath of his mouth, all their host. Let all the earth fear Yahweh. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. Merely through speech, God spoke in all matter, all time, all space, the physical laws of the universe, the incorporeal spiritual realm came into being. There are distances that are unfathomable to our human mind in the universe that God has created masterpieces that human eyes will never see. And he's done it out of his own joy and for his own glory. He is the originator of all that is seen and unseen. And further, God is separate from all that he has created. Pantheism is the idea that God is everything and everything is God. The sum of the universe is God. So the trees are God. The rocks are God. The mountains are God. The rivers are God. The sun is God. And guess what? If you're a part of the universe, you get to be part of God too. But this is not the God of Scripture. That is a small and puny God compared to the God of Scripture. Isaiah 6.3. These are the angels that are beholding his glory. And they do not stop singing. Holy, holy, holy is Yahweh, God of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. The the word holy literally means to cut off, 
to be separate from, other, unique, set apart from. God has created, but God didn't have to sever off his arm to create the universe. He created out of nothing something, and it didn't diminish him at all. Everything that we know is a part of a realm that he is entirely separate from. He is transcendent. He is self-sufficient, self-existent, self-satisfied. And this idea of his holiness, that yes, he is in the universe, filling it, but not boxed in. He is above the universe, but not excluded, presiding over it. He is beneath the universe, sustaining it. He is Yahweh, God. And this idea of holiness only emphasizes his grace towards us. Because his love is not simply like a father to a daughter where she is part of him. No. He is nothing like us. It is out of his absolute love and only by his will that he would choose to break into our realm and show love for us. How great is our God. God is not simply like us, but bigger. He is not simply like archangels, but greater. He is wholly other in a category entirely of his own. So God is eternal. God is the originator of all things and separate from them. And God is the source of all life. Genesis 2.7, And Yahweh God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. Nehemiah 9 The second half of verse 5 through 6. Blessed be your glorious name. What name? And may it be exalted above all blessing and praise. You alone are Yahweh. You made the heavens, even the highest heavens, and all their starry hosts, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them. You give life to everything. And the multitudes of heaven worship you. To have him is to have life, to be separate from him. There's only death. And this eternal creator, source of life, loves you. Let that sink in. Why? We're but passing shadows. Compared to his eternality, we're nothing. We're missed. And out of his great love, he turns the spotlight of his attention to you to call your hearts and mine. Who is like our God? John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not what? Perish. But have eternal what? To be united with God is to have life. To be set aside, to be separate from, is to only have death. John 10, 9 through 10. 
Jesus is speaking and he says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and go in and out and find pasture. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. If God is life and we reject God to worship ourselves, what's left but death? Are you united with Jesus? Does he call you his own? Do you call him the Lord of your life? Have you submitted to him? Who is God? He is the eternal creator and sustainer of life. In the beginning, God. So who is God? He's the creator. Who is God? He is sovereign. Sovereignty is defined as supreme in power, rank, and authority, holding the position of ruler. First Chronicles 16.31 says, Let the heavens be glad and the earth rejoice, and let them say among the nations, Yahweh reigns. Yahweh has authority, rank, and power. He is the ruler. What is a kingdom? What does a throne represent? A kingdom is the, the width and depth and height of a king's authority. Anywhere in his kingdom, he can go and do whatever he wants. And what is creator God's kingdom? It is everything he's created. The entire universe is under his reign and under his sovereignty. This attribute, God's sovereignty, pay attention right now, this attribute of God is what it means to be God. This is his godness. He has created all things. He rules sovereignly over all things. He rules, he rules over creation, over history, and over salvation. He is sovereign over creation. Psalm 103, 19. Yahweh has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. Colossians 1, 16 through 17, talking about Jesus. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him, all things hold together. R.C. Sproul says, there are no maverick molecules in the universe. He is the sustainer of every atom in the universe simultaneously through his omnipotence and omnipresence. There is nothing outside of his reign and rule. He is sovereign over history. Isaiah 46, the second half of 9 through verse 10. I am God. There is no other. I am God and there is none like me. Declaring the end. Here's his eternality. Declaring the end from the beginning, from ancient Times, things not yet done, saying, my counsel, my ruling, my authority, my counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose. Romans 13.1 says, your governments, the authorities in your life, yeah, from your teachers to the president to a ruler, dictator, God has appointed them. He has set them up, both evil and good. 
And he brings down those he desires and he lifts up those he desires. Proverbs 16 really lays out God's sovereignty. You see, God has created the stage of the universe. This kind of stage. He's written the plot. He has choreographed all the characters and he is directing all the participants. Both believers and unbelievers will fall in line with God's divine will. Look at Romans 9. Look at Pharaoh and Exodus. Let me stretch your brain a little bit. Unbelievers and believers are in the current of God's will, and there is no way out. He is omnipotent. No one can stand against sovereign God. The only difference between believers and unbelievers is that unbelievers hate the fact that they have no control or authority. And so their hate against God grows unto damnation. And those who have called on God to be theirs, who are soft to him, are under his authority, and they continue to become softer and softer to his will unto eternity. God is sovereign over history. Now let's be honest. There's an elephant in the room because atrocities have happened in human history. Now let's bring it home a little bit. Some pretty awful, awful things have happened in some of our lives. And that's hard to reckon with. God, what are you doing? Why did you let this happen? And I think that for me to have to move as quickly as I can tonight, I would have to minimize or patronize you in some way that I won't do tonight. I do want to read a quote to you that I hope you'll find some peace in. This is from Charles Spurgeon. I think I've got it up there for you to read. There is no attribute. Is it up there? Sweet. There is no attribute more comforting to his children than that of God's sovereignty. Under the most adverse circumstances, in the most severe trials, they believe that sovereignty has ordained their afflictions, that sovereignty overrules those afflictions, and that sovereignty will sanctify them all, his people, those believers. Maybe that's one of your questions tonight. Write that down. God is sovereign over creation, over history, and he is sovereign over salvation. Ephesians 2. Excuse me, I'm going to have to jump around a little bit. We're going to read verses 1 through 2, 3 through 5, and verse 8 together. What was our state? Who are we? What's our origin story? You were dead in your trespasses and sins. This is how God found us. We were dead in our sins and in our trespasses, in which you once walked, following the course of the world and following the prince of the power of the air. Who's that? It's Satan. So how did God find us? Not only were we dead in our sins, but we threw in our loyalty with the enemy. That's how he found us, dead and rebellious. And And we're by nature children of wrath. So there you go, dead in our sins, following Satan. What does that mean? My name tag gets to read, hello, my name is under God's wrath. This is our origin story. This is the state that God found us in. You are by nature children of God's wrath. Like the rest of mankind, 
And here are the two most hopeful words put together. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive with Christ. We were dead, and he brought us to life. For by grace you have been saved through faith. Not by works. By grace you have been saved by faith. Ephesians 1 says that he knew you before he founded the earth itself. He already knew you. Before you could do anything to earn his favor, before you could do anything to disappoint him, he loved you. That's grace. Unmerited favor. You didn't deserve it, and he loved you anyway. Who is like our God? And he made us alive together with Christ. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your doing. It is a gift of God. You can't earn your way to salvation. Who saves you? It's not mom. It's not your preacher. It's not your pastor. It's certainly not you. It's not the works that you do. You didn't say the right prayer. You didn't do the right things. You didn't figure it all out. You didn't come and, and, and cry at just the right time and just the right worship song. You have been saved by God's love and his grace towards you. That he would call your heart and pull back the veil to see a God who loves you this much. And that he would turn your heart towards him. That through your faith of saying, I trust you. And then he comes the distance through the cross. Through the power of his Holy Spirit. So that it is a gift. Someone who is face down, drowned in a pool, cannot resuscitate themselves. And this is why God's holiness is important. Because someone who is face down, drowned in the pool, what do they need? They need someone outside of themselves. They need someone outside the pool to jump in the water for them. You need someone who is set apart, who loves you enough to go the distance and get on your level. And that is the God of grace. Out of his great love, that he who is transcendent would step into flesh, into our world, because of his great love for us. So here's a flinchy question. You still with me? If God is sovereign over creation and he's sovereign over history and he's sovereign over salvation, what do we have control of? Nothing. And here is a great litmus test for all of us. If my saying that you have no control over anything, if that frustrates you and bothers you a little bit, you may need to check your heart. If that hardens you against God, I want my freedom. This is my life. I'm the captain of my ship. Then you may need to check your heart. Because those who have submitted their lives to the Lord, who have laid down their lives to pick up their cross and follow Jesus, that is the most peaceful statement we could ever hear. That God is in control of everything. You see, because if you think you have control, then what do you do with suffering? 
What do you do when the bottom falls out, when the person you love most dies? What do you do when you have nothing else to hold on to, nothing else to grab onto, no other stability? What do you do in suffering? Because your control isn't good enough. Where do you turn? But to take on a heart like what Charles Spurgeon had, to know that God is in control of everything is one of the most peaceful statements. That in this right here, God is at work. That in this suffering, in this desert, in this wilderness, he has never left or forsaken me. He has never let go of our hand. He goes before us. He is our rear guard and he stands at our right hand. Who is like our God? That is how God's people have endured suffering for millennia. Persecution, martyrdom, disease, sickness, and death. This is how God's people endure suffering. Because we know who reigns. Does fate reign? No, God reigns. How about karma? Does it reign? No, God reigns. How about luck? How about the government? How about addictions? How about our families? How about the people in our world around us that accuse us, that both tear us down or lift us up? Who reigns? God reigns. Nothing can stand against him and his will. He reigns. He is the eternal sovereign king over all that was, over all that is, and over all that will be. If you want to go down this rabbit hole a little bit further, you ready to stretch our brains a little bit further? Because if we're going to set up the accurate profile of who God is, I can't leave out this next subject. That God is creator, God is sovereign, and God is trinity. We see in God's self-revelation that he is three persons but one God, one in substance, one in essence, co-equal, co-eternal, unified, and yet one. And this is mind-bending, and it's a little rough to understand, but you don't deserve to worship anything that is small enough for you to understand. If you can comprehend it, it cannot be God. Genesis 1.26, where do we see the Trinity? Right from the beginning. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image. And yes, that is plural man, men and women. Isaiah 61, 1 through 2. Let's count. The spirit of Yahweh God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good things to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives. Jesus in the in the synagogue, read this about himself, that this was fulfilled. And they tried to throw him off a cliff for it because they knew exactly what Jesus was saying. Mark 1, 9-11. Jesus is baptized. Jesus is in the water. The Holy Spirit descends like a dove. And then God the Father speaks. This is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. 1, 2, 3. John fifteen twenty six. When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you, this is Jesus speaking, from the Father, Jesus is speaking. When the Helper comes, whom I will send from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. Twice in the same verse we see the Trinity operating. Matthew 28, 19. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We have a Trinity at work. And this is hard to wrap our minds around. But don't slip one way or the other, because there's heresies that we can get tangled in. 
Christians do not believe in tritheism, that there are three gods. No, that's refuted by Isaiah 45. There is no God other than me. No other God besides me. When, you, when God is infinite, there's no room for a second. Does that make sense? God looks around. Guess I'm alone up here. But he's not. Because he's the triune God. So we do not stand for tritheism. And the other thing we do not stand on is called modalism. Modalism is the idea that God has changed throughout different eras of history. So in the Old Testament, he's God the Father. And then in the Gospels, he's God the Son. And then in the Acts coming to now, he's God the Holy Spirit. He's like an actor, and he's like changing masks. Today I'm the Son, today I'm the Holy Spirit, today I'm the Father. No. When Jesus was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, he was not praying to himself. This was the Son praying to the Father, encouraged by the Holy Spirit. Maybe this will help you. If it doesn't, throw it out. Maybe it'll help you. Historical Orthodox Christianity speaks of God as three persons, but one substance or essence. It's kind of like this. Throw up that, I think it's called the Trinity Shield. The Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not the Father. Yet, the Son is God. The Father is God. The Holy Spirit is God. I don't get it fully. If you get it fully, I doubt you're telling me the truth. And yet, this is how God has revealed himself to us. And yet, do we think ourselves so great that we could comprehend creator, sovereign God who brought everything into existence with a word? If you can understand God, your God's too small. And that's a profile that's not real. The Athanasian Creed, go Google it sometime. It's the best definition of the Trinity that we have. We worship one God in Trinity and Trinity in unity, neither blending the persons or dividing the substance. You ready to stretch your brains a little bit more? (laughs) This is so cool. Karl Barth once said this, the Trinity, stay with me, this is so interesting. The Trinity is not the final revelation of God. And it is not the final word spoken, but the first word, the first revelation, before revelation is even possible. The subject matter makes everything else we know about God possible. Why? Why can't Allah exist? Why does it have to be Yahweh? Because if God is immutable, meaning God does not change, he never changes, he is consistent and perfect, and truthful, always. There was a time before creation of empty emptiness. If God is a God of love, who was he loving before creation? If God is a speaking God, who was he speaking to before creation? The only way, please follow me on this. This is so critical to understanding the Christian faith. The only way that God could pour out his righteous wrath against sin and be our substitute to incur that wrath in our place through the power of the Holy Spirit is if he is a triune God. 
We only have salvation because God is Trinity. There's no other option. Therefore, understanding the Trinity is the first understanding, the first word, the first revelation, making everything else we know about God possible and valid. If it's confusing, I'll take you back to Augustine's words. If you can comprehend it, it cannot be God. God's awesome complexity and his awesome majesty in mystery moves us to worship. That he is so other from anything we can understand. Who is God? He's the eternal creator and sustainer of life. He is the sovereign king over all the universe. He is diversity in perfect unity, three persons, one substance. I've told the story before, so maybe you'll remember it if you hear it twice. There was a plane, and it was leaving, flying to Tucson. And there was a man sitting next to a little boy. He didn't know the boy, and the boy was reading a book. And suddenly the plane hit turbulence, and the whole thing did that terrible jolt, and your stomach like hits your throat. And the, and the man grabbed his seat, and he made one of those like terrible, embarrassing man yelps, you know. And he looked over, and the kid was like unpassed. In fact, the kid kind of looked at him at the, out of the corner of his eye, looked up from the book, you know, and kind of like smiled a little bit. And the plane jolted again, and the man grabbed his seat again. And he kept watching this kid, and, and the man's like, his adrenaline's like building. The plane keeps kind of having these seizures, and he's like, what's going on? He's like looking outside the window. There, there's still engines out there. What's happening? And this kid was unflappable, totally unmoved by the turbulence of the plane. And so finally, the plane comes out of the turbulence, and it touches down at the airport with that screech and a final jolt, giving him this last little wimpy man yelp. And as they're on the tarmac, he collects himself enough to look over to this kid who's putting his book into his backpack. And he said, how on earth were you so calm when things got crazy back there? And the kid did his little smirk again. And he leaned over the man's lap and he said, look down the aisle. You see in the cockpit? That's my daddy flying. And he said we were going to make it. When we look at a sovereign God, you have to understand that no Christian is immune from suffering. We're not immune from sickness. We're not immune from hurting each other or being hurt. But we rest in our pilot. We rest in the one not only that flies the plane, but made the storm. We rest in the one that's going to always bring us exactly where he wants us to be for the sake of his glory and our good. He is our eternal creator, sovereign God. And through the incredible complexity of his trinity, died on the cross so that we could know him. Do you know him? Challenge yourself. In review, I'm really looking forward to e-groups. You guys get to watch a hilarious video. Recap. Who is God? God is creator. Say them after me. Creator. Sovereign. Trinity. 
Those are the three aspects you need to remember. His name is Yahweh, the great I am. As creator, he is eternal, the originator of all things and the source of life. He is separate from his creation, holy, but he loves it, and he loves you. As sovereign, he reigns over creation, over history, and even salvation. As trinity, he is neither blended in persons nor divided in essence. He is triune. We cannot fully comprehend him, but he's made himself apprehendable through Jesus, who has made a way for anyone who believes to have life, to know the source of all life. So here's your second challenge. Your first challenge was to be writing questions down. I hope you have a handful. If you're a thinking person, this message has got you reeling. Your second challenge is to grab three of those questions and chase down the best you can answers this week. And you're going to talk in e-groups. Like, where do we go to start answering some of those questions? Go searching for the Lord. I'm not saying you'll be able to answer every question. I'm not saying you'll always end up satisfied. But I will tell you that if you seek Him, you will find Him. Heavenly Father, bless these men and women of God. Thank you so much. Thank you, Lord, for what you did at the cross. Thank you, Lord, for giving us life and through your Son giving us eternal life. Lord, we surrender to you. Lord, I pray that right now there is a man or a woman making a decision in their heart to surrender to you. That their hearts are going to become soft to your control, to your leadership, to your guidance, to your will. Heavenly Father, bless their e-groups. Let them have fun, have some laughs, but let them also uncover even further truths about the content tonight. Thank you, Lord, for revealing yourself to us so we can know you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening, and a special thanks to all of you who have subscribed, shared episodes, and left reviews. If you would like to learn more about Elevate, you can visit us at iloveelevate.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Thank you for everything you do that brings faith, hope, and love to the world around you. Now go, follow Jesus. Jesus.